morning. Our scripture reading is from Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was God's eternal plan which he carried out through Christ, Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please, don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Maxwell. Thank you, worship team. Awesome, awesome this morning. So good to worship. And good morning, everyone. We're in the Word of God this morning, Ephesians chapter 3. Let me say just a word about our prayer summit. Uh, Some of you have been asking uh, what this is, this prayer summit. And uh, for about two years now, we've been introduced to prayer summits. We run them about three times a year. And we called the whole church together to pray, uh, kids included. And uh, we set up prayer stations for the kids. And there's no message that night, yay, no preaching. And we pray. We pray uh, uh, individually. We pray in little groups of uh, two, three, four. And we pray as a larger group. It's quite diversified. And uh, uh, most times we place our hands upon our staff. And we ask God's blessing and protection upon our staff. And, uh, and we, we sing. We worship. Uh, so it's prayer night. So I would just want to invite you to prayer night. Prayer summit. It's next Sunday night. Not this Sunday night. But next Sunday night, 6.15, we meet up in the great, on the great room upstairs. So, uh, and we conclude with coffee and donuts, of course. Makes prayer go better with donuts. So I invite you to the prayer summit. Uh, Would you stand with me again as we pray? 
Father, I just thank you for bringing us uh, together this morning. How could we ever know uh, the needs of all of your people this morning? But you know. And we're asking this morning that by your grace that you just take some of what your word says today and transfer it over to our lives, to where we live in 2018, and make it very applicable for where we live. And God, speak to the issues that are troubling us these days. Uh, keep, speak to the issues that keep us up at night and wake us up in the morning. And where we struggle for peace in our hearts uh, about this issue. Uh, so, Father, thank you. Uh, we welcome you always. You are always with us. We know that. We're, you are always with us. So we thank you for your presence among us today. Father, I pray that you will just bring TCC out next Sunday night to pray. I pray that you will raise up within this body a heart to pray and to watch you do the things that you desire to do among us. Lord, we can strive and we can work and we can give it our best, as we should. But, Lord, only you can break down certain walls. Only you can penetrate the darkness. Only you can touch our community. Only you can touch our families. And so we pray. And we call upon the one who is more than able. And so thank you. Lord, would you just prepare our hearts now for your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're back on the Ephesians road this morning, and what a wonderful Easter detour, but now we're back, and we're just starting chapter 3 of Ephesians, so you'll need a Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you need an iPhone. Uh, you'll need something. It'll be on the scripture as well, on, on the screens as well. Uh, thank you for reading the scripture for us. It's quite a passage. It's one of those passages where Paul starts to write. And then he has another thought, and he veers off track, and he spends 12 verses on another road, an important road. And I smile at this because I'm, I'm kind of like that myself. I'm so easily interrupted when I set out to do some projects. I'm sure you're not like this at all, but uh, when I start to do a project, and I just get going on it, then I think of something else to be done as I'm just ready to engage in that project. And then just when I'm about to, to do the secondary thing, I get a text or an email. So then that veers me off a little further. And the time I take care of that, it's time to have a coffee. And then I get a coffee, and before long I am so far removed from my first task that I'm not sure what it was that I was setting out to do. You're looking at me. That never happens to me. Oh, someday. Someday it will. Have you noticed this before? Look at verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. And then he gets another thought. Maybe he's ready for a coffee break or whatever they serve in prison. 
He comes back from coffee, and he's on a totally new thought, but then he gets back to his first thought in verse 14. Oh, look at that. Same words. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Same opening words as verse 1. So you can put verses 2 through 13 in a big parenthesis. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning on a fascinating parenthesis. Uh, it doesn't mean it's unimportant. In fact, this was revolutionary. A mystery solved. It's a huge parenthesis. Now, before you see the outline of the passage, I want you to notice again how Paul opens the conversation in uh, verse 1. He says, When I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. Now, they say you can go through a lot in life if you know the reason why. You can go through the what if you know the why. Mark and I just saw the movie, Paul the Apostle. I don't know if you... Did anybody get a chance to see it? A few people? I think it's gone now. You've missed it for now, but it will come back in video. And uh, wow, the last days of his life, he went through a lot. Oftentimes we don't know the reason, and that's why it's so very hard. Why is this happening to me? I mean, if someone could come along and authentically say, well, here's the reason, and you'll get through it, and here's why it's happening. But often, most often, we don't know the reason why, and that makes it very difficult to deal with the what. Now, notice what Paul calls himself, a prisoner of who? Of Christ Jesus. Interesting, he doesn't say he's a preacher or a church planter or a pastor or a missionary. No, he says he's a prisoner. A prisoner of who? Of Christ. Now, he wrote this from jail. He was under house arrest. He could have said, I'm a prisoner of Rome. That would have made sense. But he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He really switches that thing up. It's quite endearing. He's a, he's a joyful prisoner of Christ. And Christ has him, and he is thrilled to be wherever God wants him to be. But just notice how he frames it. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Doesn't attitude make a difference? Besides Jesus, I don't think I know of anyone who rises higher in his or her circumstances than the Apostle Paul. He was amazing. Nowhere in his writings do you ever find Paul having a pity party. He's amazing. Oh, he knew the reason why. It all made sense to him. And the why is in the text that we're going to look at this morning. The why is in the text. So kind of watch for it. And obviously, that was very helpful for Paul. I read somewhere of, of someone who said that Jesus promised his disciples three things. Number one, that they would be absurdly happy. Number two, that they would be completely fearless. And number three, that they would be in constant trouble. And we don't really think of it that way, do we? 
We don't want to say, man, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to get in trouble. We want to say profoundly safe, not in constant trouble. But Paul seems to be in constant trouble. But he knew why. He was a prisoner. He was a servant of Christ Jesus. And the reason that he was a prisoner was because of the Gentiles. He was suffering on their behalf. And he was honored to do so. Why was he in Rome? For following Jesus. For, uh, for following Jesus, for sure, because he was a leader in the, in the new Christian movement. But he was in prison, basically, for being one who included the Gentiles. He was in prison because he taught that the Gentiles could also be included in God's salvation. And that was a no-no. So off to prison he went. The 13th verse says it well, if you jump down, and then we'll come back. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. For who? The Gentiles. So you should feel honored. That's his word to the Gentiles. And I think Paul felt honored. And I think he was amazing. And easy for us to say, well, Paul, man, you do that well. You do that so well. You just don't have any, you don't have any pity party. You just, it just rolls off of you. And it's so easy. Because we're so far removed from it. But we don't have that sweating, BO-laden guard chained to us every day, like Paul did. And yet, Paul led one after another of these guards to the Lord so that all of Caesar's headquarters was deeply impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I say again, doesn't it make a difference how you frame your situation? A prisoner of Jesus Christ. So when I start to say, grumble, this isn't right, and there's a problem here, I think I should pull out Ephesians 3.1 and think of Paul, who just rocked it by calling himself a prisoner of the Lord. Christ has me captive. Oh, that's powerful to help you move on with your life. I'm not captive to my circumstances. I'm captive to Christ. Oh, and just think of it. When would Paul ever have had time to write four prison epistles if he didn't have some time in, in prison? In, in, in some relative exclu- uh, seclusion. So look at the good that came out of his imprisonment. We have the letters to uh, the Philippians and the Colossians and Philemon and this letter to Ephesians. And they're called the prison epistles. And the Lord says, I guess, to, to Paul, okay, they, 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 they stuffed you away in prison. That's okay. I, now I want you to write some letters. I want you to write some letters that will bless my church for generations to come. And we're blessed today because of that. And so I just want to say, regardless of where you are, you're at, regardless of the, the dominoes that have fallen... You're still in a place where God can use you powerfully. You just have to look at it a little differently and say, okay, God, then if I'm here, then then use me in this situation. 
And that obviously is what Paul did. So three parts to this text. Number one is the revealing of the mystery. The revealing of the mystery. In verses 2 to 6, Paul talks about a mystery. God's mystery. And look at how he says it in verse 3. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. Now what's the mystery? Verse 5 is getting closer to it. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Some people say, well, I like a good, I like a good mystery movie. Maybe you do. Because uh, I, I, I like to see if I can figure out how that mystery is going to be solved. So as that movie is unfolding, I'm doing my thinking ahead of time, and I think that this is going to be the guy that did it. Only if you're a movie producer, you know that everybody's trying to track with you, so you're putting little twists in it along the way, and you're not giving all the information... And so it's very difficult to solve the, the mystery. So if we apply that kind of thinking to what Paul is writing about, that how do we get all these pieces so we solve the mystery, then I think we're, we're going to get confused. So Paul didn't have to solve something. There wasn't a mystery for Paul to solve. The word mysterion in the Greek doesn't imply solving a problem. It really means secret. In fact, it means an open secret. So Paul is informing his readers that I am now making known to you the secret or the open secret. It was not known before because it could not be known, but now people know about it because God has revealed it and it's very clear. So it's no longer a mystery. It's no longer a secret. Now you can come back to verse 3 where Paul says that God revealed the open secret to him. He says, as I briefly wrote earlier, and that would take you back to chapter 1 verse 9 of Ephesians, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. So Paul says that God gave, God gave him the revelation. God gave Paul a revelation. I can't tell you where. In the scripture, he gave that. I can't tell you when he gave it. Uh, but I know that Paul received that revelation from God, that picture from God. And you just have to look at a passage of scripture like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And you see that the Apostle Paul had some incredible revelations. Actually, I think he was shy to talk about them because he didn't want it to be an ego thing. He said, I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, maybe that was the time when he got this revelation. And he goes on, uh, no doubt there were, there were other occasions when Paul got a powerful insight from God through unique revelations and visions. Not a high mention of, of this. Not a lot of discussion of this in, in the scripture because I don't think Paul wanted it to be an ego thing. But what was the open secret? Well, precisely that God had built a huge bridge for both Jews and Gentiles, for both of them to come to him. It's an inclusive bridge. It's a wide bridge. There is a story of two brothers who were very close as kids. 
And when they grew up, they maintained their friendship. They were really close as a family. They didn't want to spend a lot of time apart, so they bought an acreage west of, the t- of town. And it was a- enough land for both of them to build their houses on and to raise their families. And they did that, and they shared a big backyard together on this acreage. But as the years went by, these two boys, these brothers, had a falling out over something that seemed very trivial, but it caused great division among them. And this rift led to an ugly silence and then just a downright ignoring of one another as they drove past one another. They didn't wave. They didn't talk to one another anymore. And one afternoon, there was a knock on the door of the younger brother's home. And it was a handyman with a toolbox. And the, the handyman said, I'm, I'm out of work. I'm looking for something. Would you have something for me to do? And the younger brother thought about that. And he said, well, yes, I do. He said, come with me. And they went to the bay window of the kitchen. And they looked out on his backyard And his older brother had diverted the creek so the water was all in this younger brother's backyard. He said, come outside and I'll tell you what you could do for me. So he took him outside and he said, I'd like you to build a big fence. Not a six-foot fence, but an eight-foot fence. I'd like you to, to build that fence between my brother's backyard, his house, and our house, and all the way down. And he said, I'm going out of town for a few days, but you go ahead and build it, and you get going on it, and I'll be back in a few days, and we'll talk. Well, the handyman went to work. The younger brother went out of town. And uh, when he came back, the younger brother, the handyman was just finished. And he was just wiping his hands. He was just done. And the owner came to the backyard, and he was stunned to see that a bridge was built instead of a fence. It was a beautiful bridge, and it it had a nice, fine, firm handrail on both sides, and it was wide enough for several people to walk across. So he's looking at this bridge in amazement, and all of a sudden, his older brother sees this, he starts walking down toward them, and uh, the younger brother is staring in, in unbelief as his older brother comes up to him. He's never talked to him for the longest time. And the older brother has his arms open. He says, a bridge. What a great idea. He said, you know, he said, I had no business causing this creek to come over and flood your backyard. And he said, I'm so sorry about that. And, and, I, and we've had no business living in silence all these years. Come here. And he gave him a big bear hug. Well, the younger brother didn't have the heart to tell him that it wasn't his idea. He didn't mention the fence. And now that the bridge was built, he said, boy, this is just wonderful. And both brothers said to the handyman, please stick around. We have a few more things that you could do for us. And the handyman said, oh, no, I've got to be on my way. I've got some other bridges that I need to build for some other folks. 
Paul got a revelation from God to build a bridge. God wanted a bridge built. The Jews wanted to build a high wall, eight feet high, because all of their lives they had been uniquely exclusive to God. They were God's people, yes. Oh, they were to be missionaries to the Gentiles, but they conveniently forgot that through the years. They missed that part of the lesson manual. And finally, God broke through. He solved the mystery. He opened the secret and gave Paul, the apostle, the message that whenever any Gentile or Jew comes to Christ, they become one in the great family of God, and they all cross the bridge together. It's wide enough for both. God is not an exclusive God, but he extends his love and his grace to all. Now, I know this doesn't knock you back in your seats and you say, wow, Ken, I never knew that before. <laughs> of course you did. You, you, most of us are Gentiles because this has been the gospel message for 2,000 years. But you can appreciate this was a revolutionary paradigm shift in the message of the gospel in the first century. And it sent Paul to prison to preach that. What? You mean these Gentiles are also included? What? Through Jesus Christ, they too are able to walk across the bridge and come to the Father? What? You say, if you, if you were Gentile and you believed in Christ, you could be as close to the heart of God as the Jew who believed the very same thing? That's incredible. The revealing of the mystery. Friends, this, this is the gospel for everyone. A woman came to our office last week, and she wants so badly to bring her children to this country. She is from Kazakhstan or one of those stands that are countries that came out of Russia. What a wonderful lady. She has been through so much physical abuse, and now she's safe in Canada, but she wants her children to be able to come here as well. So I got to know her, and after a while I asked her if I could pray with her, and I knew that she was Muslim, and she said yes. So I prayed with her. And she came back in the next week, this past week, with two big, round, baked bread their national dish. It was still warm. She had just baked it. And we just want her to know that God loves her. That she can walk across the bridge too. That it's for all of us. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. John 3.16. The revealing of the mystery. The gospel is for everyone. Second, rejoicing in the mystery. Rejoicing in the mystery. Uh, what a calling. Paul was called to be the chaplain to the Gentiles. And from verses 7 to 11, he's humbled and he's thrilled to be called to this ministry. 
And over and over again, you hear him reciting these words, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Verse 8 says, uh, and he's reflecting on what he used to be like, how he used to kill the Christians. The why, that's why he says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles uh, about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And he says, I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan of God that the creator of all things has kept secret from the beginning. Paul said, I didn't ask to be picked for this role. Uh, he would have never expected that he would have been after all that he'd done. That God would turn around and say to him, Paul, now I want to use you after you've, after you've killed my people. Now I want to use you in a profound way. That's how God is with us. When God taps you on the shoulder, just say yes, whatever it might be, however humble it might be. If God's calling you to some kind of ministry, enter humbly with authentic humility, not saying, well, I guess so, because I could probably do that a whole lot better than those other guys are doing that. No. Paul was humbled by all of this. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't vying for a position. He was giving all the credit and all the honor to God. The great Toscanini once gave a concert for which the audience was wildly enthusiastic. There were several encores and still the audience cheered. And finally when there was a lull, Toscanini turned his back to the audience and he spoke directly to the orchestra and he said to them, I'm nothing. You are nothing. Beethoven is everything. And that was Paul. For him, Christ was everything. To be given the privilege of sharing that there is a bridge for the Gentiles was beyond what Paul would ever thought possible. And he was so blessed to be a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Christ was everything. And Paul was so exhilarated to be able to extend God's invitation to the Jewish people so that they could come to Christ. And when they did, their racial prejudices evaporated. And then he extended God's invitation to the Gentiles and that he told them that they were part of the family, that they shared equally in the family of God. What a secret. Now revealed. The church looks different. The church is not exclusive. The church is Jews and Gentiles. This is the face of the church. Everyone. Everyone can be part of the church through Jesus Christ. Remember that old hymn? We've got to sing this once, once in a while. In Christ there is no east or west. In him no south or north. But one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Join hands then, members of the faith, whatever your race may be, who serves my father as his child. He surely can to me. Isn't that good? Who serves my father as his child is surely kin to me. Now, there's one more audience that you might never expect would be part of sharing the good news. Listen to verse 10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. 
Did you catch that? Did that just kind of go by you? God chose Paul for the purpose of preaching the good news to the Gentiles. That's number one. And secondly, to make sure that the, the, uh, God's mystery, his open secret, now hits front page. So it's inclusive to Jews and Gentiles. But it doesn't stop there. Paul's ministry impacted another world. The spiritual, invisible world. God uses the church of Jesus Christ to inform the angels and the evil powers. Is that, is that what it says? The angels are created. The fallen angels, the evil powers are created beings. And they don't know anything about the plan of salvation. The angels have been created to be the messengers of God, but they don't understand the gospel. They are not saved, and they are not lost. They don't have souls. And they are learning about the excitement of our salvation. I love what John Stott says about this as he reflects on this unusual audience. He asks, who are they? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We are to think of them as spectators of the drama of salvation. And listen to this. Thus, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. We don't have much information about the knowledge of the angels. What do they know? Although maybe you remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, and it says, Now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. happening. They're kind of leaning in and saying, Whoa, isn't this interesting? I don't know anything about this. Do you know that song, Holy, Holy is what the angels sing? And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption story, they will fold their wings. For angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. The angels will fold their wings. That's good theology because they don't know. They've never experienced the joy of our salvation. They've never known the love of God through Jesus Christ and his grace and love. They don't know the excitement we have in our hearts as we've come to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And the angels are listening to us. They're going to school on us every Sunday. They're hearing the story of the gospel, not for their salvation, but for their enlightenment. It seems like even though they are messengers, they don't, they don't have all the pieces put together. They saw the creation of the world. They, they saw when Jesus was born as a little baby onto this planet. And they, Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, I could call on them, 10,000 of them, if I, if I needed them. But they're still very much in the learning mode as to what it all means. So they're learning. And they're leaning in and they're learning the impact of the life of Jesus Christ and the church of Christ. And God is using the church to display his wisdom. That's awesome. Makes me really sensitive right now to what they're listening to, what they're hearing, what's going on. 
the church has a, has a far larger viewing audience than any of us can see. There is an audience that extends all the way into eternity. Angels and demons alike see the power of the church of Jesus Christ. And what might seem to us like a small church in a small town is in reality part of the most powerful institution on earth. What one small church is doing is showing all eternity the power of God. And that pastor who prayed so, or shared so powerfully at the prayer vigil for the, for the uh, humble Broncos uh, was, was being used of God and his, his words connected with so many people, even the angels, they were listening in. So first, revealing uh, the mystery. Secondly, rejoicing in the mystery. And thirdly, reminders for daily living. Here we are in verses 12 and 13. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So, so you should feel honored. You hear what he's saying? Remember, he's addressing these words to the Gentiles. Yes, you too. Oh, you Gentiles, you didn't ever think you could come to God. You can come right into the presence of God I tell you, you can come boldly and you can come confidently. Unheard of for the Gentiles. But Paul is mentoring them. That's what all this means. You have access to the throne of God. You can come to God and you don't have to come apologetically. He loves to have you come. Come in faith. Come with boldness. Come not with arrogance. Come in confident humility. You can come. Oh, how do you know you can come? Well, because that's the plan. That's the, the secret that's been unleashed. That's the mystery revealed. You can come. You're a good steward of what God has done in Christ when you take advantage of the benefits that have come your way in Christ. And you can come anytime. Can't sleep at night. Get awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning. You can pray. Heart troubled stressed about something, you can speak to him at 1.30 in the morning. You can come and he hears you. You can come and, and he hears you. You can come boldly and you can come confidently. And, and he listens to you and he speaks to you. And, and he wants to hear you and, and we want to hear him. He might just whisper one word to you and that's enough. And it just changes your fretting to peace. And then this last verse, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored about that. Paul says, I feel good about it. You should feel honored too. I get the privilege to suffer for you. Uh, and Paul didn't know what was going to happen to him. And he did go through so much, but he was suffering for his friends. What is it that keeps us from the deep discouragement of living? Hasn't there been so much this past week in the news that has been, been so hard? And Darcy Hogan's funeral yesterday, coach of the Humboldt, Humboldt Broncos, is so sad. He was part of our congregation there at West Meadows years ago. And it's so sad to see him taken 
from his wife and children and family and friends. But he lived well. He lived well. And he invested in these young lives. And all of the, these young hockey players knew he, who he was and how he loved Jesus. And that was his heart to build a bridge to each of them. And we'll never know all the bridges that his players walked over because of, of Darcy. So, friends, some reminders this morning for daily living. Come to God with joy and confidence and with boldness. Don't get discouraged because God's in control. Don't lose heart. The bridges are still being built. And these words this morning uh, are not just for 2,000 years ago. The bridge to Jesus Christ, uh, the bridge to God through Jesus is still available today. And you could walk across the bridge today. I don't know why you wouldn't if you haven't. I don't know why you wouldn't. You can know God personally through his son, Jesus Christ. And if that was an experience where you walked across, or, but now it just seems so distant. It just seems like, I don't know where I'm at anymore. I need to be reoriented with the bridge. Then just please... Whisper to him this morning, I've been away, I've been away, I, I, I've been chasing my dreams, or I've been so preoccupied, but I know you love me. I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming back, I'm coming home. He's there. Just walk across the bridge, walk to him, trust him. Because you can come. And we all said, Let's stand together. I pray, Father, that no one misses the bridge you have built for us in Christ, that no one here would miss that bridge that no one would allow pride and distraction and self to get in front of the most critical decision and lifestyle that you call us to. Your love is that great for all of us that you gave your very own son to die in our place, that our sins might be dealt with, so, Father, we say thank you this morning for the bridge. We cheer for all who would uh, courageously come to the bridge and get reoriented on that bridge and get themselves turned around. And, Father, we just want to say to you, thank you for your inclusive love to all of us, Jews, Gentiles, North Americans, Latin Americans, Europeans, Asians, Australians, male, female, all, all. You are so good to us. And we tell you this morning, Lord, we love you. We are so honored to know you. We're so honored to walk with you. We're so grateful that you walk with us. Um, and you, you meet us where we're at day by day. In Jesus' name.
Amen.